All right, everyone. Well, we have been going through a, uh, a little bit of a mini-series as we've come into this fall season, uh, which we've been calling uh, Incarnational, as you saw in the, the video at the beginning. Uh, and, and essentially, the reason we did that is because we're in this transistory period, transitionary, I don't know, transitionary period as we come out of summer and into the kind of more regular routines of fall, but also as we've come out of a season of COVID lockdowns and we're back into some semblance of normality. You know, it's not completely there, um, but we are, are doing this as a way of just reminding ourselves what it means to be the church. Uh, the reason we've called it incarnational is because we believe that ultimately who we are as a church and how we live as a church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human form, the God who came down as a human being to reach us because we could not get to him. And that has huge implications for how we live out life together as his church. And so we recognize in the first week that there's this reality that God has called us to himself, that he's made us a people who are in this world, but we're not of this world, which means as he was incarnationally in the world, we are also called as a community to be incarnationally in the world. And to help us fill out what that looks like, we've been taking a look at the uh, one another commands that we see throughout the scriptures. As the church, uh, early church was figuring out uh, through the power of the Spirit what it actually looked like to be the people of God, oftentimes what would happen is leaders would come and they would give these one another commands, these commands that would help the church understand how we are to live together. And you can broadly categorize those one another's under four headings. So the first is what we looked at a couple weeks ago, which is love one another. The second, what Matt led us through last week, is be unified with one another. And this week, we're going to look at a third category, which is serve one another. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, we are going to uh, jump back into Matthew here for, for a little bit, not a ton. But uh, open up to Matthew chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can grab one over there, download one from the App Store on your phone. Uh, really quick, I know I didn't do this before. If you are new with us, uh, my name is Andrew, one of the leaders, and i uh, love to connect with you. So please do make sure to reach out to us. But uh, Matthew chapter 20. So just a little bit of context of what's happened so far uh, in Matthew's book, uh, Jesus has predicted that he's going to go to the cross. And then ironically, two of his disciples get their mom to ask Jesus if they can have like the two top positions in his kingdom. So it's like this completely like, uh, like there's this like cognitive, cognitive, cognitive like dissonance here. Like they just cannot uh, understand what Jesus is saying. And that leads to this whole uh, argument that's happening between Jesus' followers about who's going to be the greatest. So Jesus just said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm going to die for people. And then they have this argument about who's going to be important and in charge. And Jesus gathers them together. In Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So Jesus says, look around. You can see the way that authority happens in the culture around you. When someone becomes king, what does he do? Everyone has to serve him. His will is their command. He says, that's not the picture that you should be aspiring to. Is not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. 
And what is he rooted in? Verse 28, he roots it in himself. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When we talk about this call to serve one another, first and foremost, we must understand that it is rooted ultimately in the example that we have seen of Jesus. Jesus who came and gave his life as an act of service on our behalf. There's two things I want us to draw out here before we kind of dive into what this looks like for us that that we need to get from Jesus' example. I think we can all kind of see the horizontal element to Jesus' serving. Like he is serving other human beings. He goes to the cross for us. But there's also a vertical aspect to Jesus' service. This may sound controversial to you, but I think it's true. Jesus didn't ultimately go to the cross for you. He did go to the cross for you, but his ultimate motivation wasn't you. Jesus' ultimate motivation was his Father. He went to the cross as an act of obedience and submission and service to the Father. And it is out of the overflow of that act of obedience to the Father that led him to the horizontal service to us. We see that time and time again. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's speaking to his Father and he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So as we look forward to what this means for us, we have to understand that ultimately our act of serving one another first and foremost must stem from an act of submission to God. All right, jump forward in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. This is where we're going to camp out for most of the rest of the day here. Uh, Galatians is a letter written by one of Jesus' early, uh, early followers, a, a man by the name of Paul. And he's writing to several churches in the province of Galatia, and he's, he's writing about a bunch of different conflict elements that are happening. Uh, and he starts to talk about how you know, they, they are free from kind of the religion of the Jewish law. And yet, he goes on to say in verse 13 of chapter 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. For the entire law is, filled in, uh, is fulfilled, uh, sorry, do not indulge in the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. So there's that one another, right? Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's writing to a church that's in conflict, and it's in conflict primarily because people are saying, hey, I'm not under this law anymore, so I can do whatever I want. I'm free. And Paul says, no, you're not free to do whatever you want. That's not what freedom means. Freedom actually, under Jesus, looks like this. Serving one another humbly in love. When he talks about serving in love, it's easy for us just to think that he's talking about the manner in which we serve. We serve each other in a way that shows love or is a loving manner. But it's actually deeper than that. What Paul is saying 
is that we are to serve each other out of the overflow of the love that we have experienced from Jesus. That we serve others because of how we have already experienced service for us. And he says that ultimately this service is an act of obedience to God. When he says this is, he says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. See, ultimately, our motivation, again, is that vertical motivation. That's what empowers our horizontal motivation to love one another. And so there's this act of, of love that we experience, which brings out a fruition of obedience to God, which manifests itself in humility, which leads to serving one another. So let's, let's unpack that. When, when Paul is talking to the church and saying, hey, this is what it looks like for you to be an incarnational community, serve one another, what does that practically actually mean for you and I today? Well, if, if, if it's modeled and based off of Jesus, I think it's helpful for us to look at a couple of quick examples of how Jesus has demonstrated this service. And ultimately, the ultimate example is, of course, the cross. But let's look at just a couple of quick, quick other portions of Scripture that talk about this. Um, going back to John chapter 13, we were here a couple weeks ago. Uh, so John chapter 13 is the start of Jesus' Last Supper in John's Gospel. And, uh, and he, he starts off by talking about how they're sharing this meal together. And then, and then Jesus does this thing that is profoundly, uh, profoundly um, it's kind of awkward. He, he takes this towel and this wash base and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Um, I'm, I'm not a feet person. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't like feet. I, I, probably because my feet are gross. I've done pedicures a few times, and I really always feel so bad for whoever is doing the pedicure for me. Um, and, you know, usually it's, it's like, uh, like a Vietnamese lady or a Thai lady or something like that. And, and I, I, you know, she's chatting with the lady next to her, and I know, I know she's saying, like, I drew the short end of the straw. I got this guy and his disgusting feet. Like, let me go over to that nice old lady over there. Like, she's got some corns that we need to, like, shave off or something. But the rest of it's really nice. This guy's feet are gross. So feet in general, I mean, just that's, like, you think about cleaning people's feet. That's just, like, a gross job in itself. But I, I, I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible actually tells this story. It starts off by talking about sandals. And it says, like, everyone wore sandals. And then it starts talking about the fact that, you know, this is a, uh, you know, an undeveloped society. So they don't have, like, cars and stuff. Like, it is, like, donkeys and cows and sheep walking down the street with people. So you just imagine. You just imagine what those roads are like. Also, sewers didn't exist. I mean, they did exist, but not like they exist now. So where do people put their stuff? Just think about... All that gunk, all that dusty gunk coating your feet. Who would want to clean those feet? No one. No one wants to clean those feet. That's why it was a job reserved for lowly slaves, people who didn't have a choice in the matter. And along comes Jesus, the master, the teacher. What does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. In verse 12, he, he unpacks this for them. He says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on clothes and returned to the, his place. And he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. For very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus paints a picture for us of what it actually looks like to serve one another as he has served us. It means taking the job that nobody wants to do and gladly doing it out of love for that person. It's a degrading reality to wash someone's feet. Like I said, it was the job reserved for the lowliest of slaves. I hate, um, I hate garbage. Like, I hate taking out the garbage. I, like, I, I try and avoid it at all costs uh, because it's a gross job. And I've been in a couple of positions at, in different parts of my life where um, I don't have to do it. Um, and uh, and <laughs> sometimes I don't always do a good job of following Jesus' example. Like, I'm going to get someone else to do it, but that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. He's saying, you be the person when you see that someone's garbage is overflowing and stinky and it's gross and you get that gross garbage juice dripping down your leg, you be the person to take it out. That's a pretty crazy calling. A calling to essentially degrade yourself to the lowliest position as an act of service to one another. But this is the picture that Jesus says, this is the way his church is is supposed to interact with each other. That when you see someone else's needs, you say, like, I'm like your slave. I'm your servant. I'm the person whose, your your wish is my command. I'm going to do the job that no one wants to do for you. There's a second picture. Matt kind of led us through this a little bit last week, and so I don't want to go into it uh, too much. But this comes from Philippians chapter 2. As Paul's reflecting on who Jesus is, he's calling this Philippian church based on what they've experienced from Jesus to live likewise. And he says in chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, there's that word again, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe poetically you know, how Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but laid it down, taking on the very nature of a servant, even going unto death. This is the picture, again, and Paul is saying this, Based on what you've experienced from Jesus, this is how you ought to treat one another. He says a couple of things that I think we we just kind of take at face value. He says, value others more than you, like value others more highly than yourselves. What what does Paul mean by that? What do do we talk about when we value something? We, We ascribe it worth. If you value one friendship more than the other, you think that that friendship is more important. So Jesus is saying, look at someone else, look at the other people around you as if they are more important. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
We're to do that in humility. What does this look like? What does it look like for us to actually look at each other and say, you're more important. Your interests should take precedence over my interests. Well, the first thing that I think we have to recognize is that it should look different than what we experience in the culture around us. And it means that when we enter into community, we're going to probably ask different questions. Instead of entering community saying, what can you do for me? If we value others more than ourselves, if we're looking to others' interests, if we're entering with a humble attitude that says, I came to serve, not to be served, then rather than asking, what can you do for me? I'm going to come in and ask, what can I do for you? But let's be honest, how many of us actually enter into a community and ask that question? Or we enter in, or we hear about a need, and and the first response isn't, is that convenient or comfortable for me? Rather, it's, am I able to do this? Learning to love each other by serving each other, as we have experienced with Jesus, has huge, huge implications. But let's be honest. How often does the church look exactly like the culture around us, filled with people who come in saying, what can you do for me? I won't do what's going to make me uncomfortable or what's inconvenient. Going back to Galatians 5, Paul Paul recognizes this dichotomy in us. He says, uh, kind of continuing on in verse 16 of chapter 5, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul recognizes that there's this sort of divided reality in us as Christians. When we come to know Jesus, we become this new being, this incarnational person who's in the world but not of it. Our our old self dies with Christ at the cross, but there's like this zombified version of it. You know, it's like the undead. You know, it just keeps kind of coming back. It's dead, but it's it's not quite done kicking. And it keeps trying to bite us and infect us and bring us back into this period uh, or this headspace where we want to be self-focused. And he calls it the flesh. And he says, we're in conflict constantly. I think sometimes we have this picture that, you know, we can follow God and we can follow evil, but there's also this, like, neutral space where we're kind of like, we're, we're not quite doing what we should do, but we're not quite doing like a really bad thing. Paul wants us to understand that there is no neutral territory. That's why he says 
in verse 17, they are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. He's not saying that you don't have a choice. He's saying you, well, he is, he, he's not saying that you, you don't have a choice but to do good. What he is saying is you don't have a choice. You are either going to submit yourself in service to Jesus or you're going to submit yourself in service to your flesh. And this is the inherent problem This is the reason why you and I fail time and time again to serve each other like Jesus has served us. Because the flesh is that that space where we stop submitting first and foremost to God. There's that vertical aspect of service. You and I are never going to be the people who can serve one another. That picture that we see in John chapter 13, that picture we see in Philippians chapter 2, in humility, you know, considering other people's interests more important than our own interests, we're never going to be able to do that unless first and foremost we submit ourselves to Jesus. And he gets to call the shots in our life. And we're led by his spirit. What happens when we give in to the flesh, when we get caught up in the flesh, then we see because our lack of submission, our lack of service to the Father, that results in a horizontal lack of service. And instead of coming in and asking, what can I do for you? Again, we start asking questions or saying things like, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what is best for me. We come into a a church setting like, like this on a Sunday morning, And rather than coming in and saying, hey, I'm part of this larger body, how can I be a servant? When we hear those calls out to say, hey, we need people to serve in kids, or we need people to serve in hospitality, or we need people to serve in tech, or whatever it is, we think, yeah, that's that's not for me. I don't want to get up at 8.30. That's too early. I don't want to give up my Sunday morning once a month. I don't want to miss a gathering to go and hang out with kids. Church, that is not the attitude of Christ Jesus who came to serve, not to be served, and give his life as a ransom for many who washed his disciples' feet. Or we enter into a community group or or any kind of group, and again, the question we ask is, is this going to be convenient for me? Many community groups share a family meal together. It's a great place for which we can serve one another. We can come and we can generously bring the best we have to offer, even if it takes time or money or sacrifice. But sometimes when we think it's all about us, we bring the bare minimum that we have to bring in order to not feel socially shamed. Or we hear about needs in our community. You see something on West Village in common and you have the means to meet that need but it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient. And so you just simply ignore it. How do we know we're living in the flesh? Well, Paul gives us a list of things to think about. He says in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He lists a couple of different categories of things, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. He starts off by talking about our sex lives. He says, you're going to start seeing selfish sexuality. 
This is a tangent. This isn't really what I want to talk about today. But it's just a quick, a quick thing that those of us who are married should understand. Did you, did you know our sex lives are supposed to be places of servanthood? You want to have a really good sex life? Start asking how you can serve your spouse. This is an act of service. And Paul makes it clear that this is an area where it gets worked out. And he continues on and he says in, in uh, verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft. What is that? That's, that's us trying to manipulate the spirit world to be able to do what we want to do. Again, it's self-focus. It's, uh, it's about us. It's not an act of submission to God. It's not an act of submission to one another. It's trying to control other things for our benefit. And then he lists a bunch of, of interpersonal Issues that are the result of our lack of vertical service to God. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Things that happen in the community when we enter in, not with how can I serve, but how can I be served. And he finishes off by talking about self-indulgent attitudes drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And he finishes off by saying this, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, earlier in verse 15, he's talking to the Galatian church about these types of attitudes that are formed out of a heart that is not submitted to God and not focused on serving one another. And he says in verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out and you will be destroyed by each other. See, what happens is when we don't live in this submission to Jesus that actually breaks, uh, breaks out in, in our community in service to each other, when we continue to enter in with this me first, me mentality, it's all about me, 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 then what happens is we start to tear each other apart. This is why you see churches split. Community groups erupt in tension. DNAs that won't meet anymore. Friendships that get divided. See, the ultimate result of our lack of service to one another and our lack of service to Jesus is the destruction of the community. And I, I, want, us to, I want us to get this because we are at this critical moment as a church. We are in a moment right now that is maybe more pronounced in terms of causing tension and disruption in our church family than any other part of this kind of pandemic reality. You know, when we couldn't gather together, we weren't really rubbing shoulders together. So lots of people had different opinions and different views, but they didn't really like punch into each other too much. But now we have this opportunity to rub shoulders with each other. We're back to meeting in community groups. We're back to meeting here on a Sunday morning. We're back to gathering. And the reality is, is we're going to have conflict moments. And the way, the way forward is not trying to find some consensus. We're not going to do that. The way forward is for all of us to remember what Jesus has done for us the way he laid his life down for us, and then to take that as our attitude and how we relate to each other. So how do we do that? How do we do that? 
John Owen, he's a, a Puritan, uh, old Puritan uh, reformer. He has this great saying. He says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's this old-fashioned word, mortify. Uh, that's where we get that term mortician from. Someone who deals with death. Mortify means to put to death. What do we have to do? We have to mortify the flesh. We have to kill the flesh. Paul says in verse 24 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our flesh is dead already, but we need to remind it of that fact. And the only way that we do that is by going back to the cross, going back to where it was put to death in the first place, being reminded ultimately of the person and work of Jesus. Jesus, the one who gave his life as a ransom for many, the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became a human being even unto death. See, something happens when we go back to the gospel. It reminds us. It reminds us how truly needy we are. When you go back to the gospel, it reminds me that you could not do what you needed to do in order to be close with God. That he actually had to become human being. He had to incarnate himself to pursue you. He had to die for you, and it should humble you. It should humble you. It should humble your heart, and it's out of that humility that you are then able to serve him. And out of that humility of being able to serve him, that is what will motivate and empower you to serve one another, to wash feet, to consider others' interests more important than your own. Not only that, but the gospel empowers us. It reminds us that even though we couldn't do it on our own, Jesus did it on our behalf, and he has changed us, and he has transformed us, and he has made us a new people. And so it is out of that new identity that we then can interact with each other in a way that is humble and servant, and humble in servanthood. And we know that when we submit ourselves to Jesus, that his spirit empowers us to live like him. So why Paul can write, the fruit of the spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can you imagine if the way that we interact with each other in this season is flavored by those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? That when you get into a conversation with someone who you disagree with, that it's flavored by love, forbearance. It's like that's extreme word for patience. It's gentle. It's self-controlled. When someone says something that makes you angry, you don't burst out. You hold back. You seek to listen, to understand, to hear, not to be heard. You're faithful. You're gentle. This type of servant attitude is the thing that's going to set us apart from the world around us. I just think of 
the ways that it can even manifest itself in our community groups. I think of, you know, when we come into a community group setting, lots of us have kids in our community group. And it can be really easy to say, like, hey, I just want to be, like, doing parent time. A couple of weeks ago, um, I had this really beautiful picture of this getting worked out. Uh, there's a lady in our, our community group, Jen, and uh, she's, she's uh, like a grandmother um, and you know, doesn't have like little kids of her own. And I, I remember kind of going out on her deck and she had like seven kids all around the table and she was just there hanging out, loving all of our kids really well. And all these exhausted moms were sitting there getting to eat meals without having to like worry about their kids. Man, that's a picture of someone who is being shaped by the servant heart of Jesus. When you step into being like, I mean, some community groups are trying to figure out what do we do with kids? You know, we want to be intentional. We want to disciple our kids. We want to serve our kids. We want to give them a picture of Jesus' servant heart by serving them. And you start having conversations, how do we do that well? And, and there's going to be this tension because there's this part of you that says, like, ah, yeah, I really just want to eat and hang out with the adults. And, you know, once a month or once every couple of months, like, to go and hang out with a bunch of crazy kids so that I can free up other people. I don't know if I want to do that. Do it. It's a picture of the servant heart of Jesus. You're serving kids. You're serving parents. You're serving other people, you're doing the job that maybe is difficult and hard and others struggle with. You're saying, I'm going to care about your interests more than the interests of myself. As you continue to think through what Jesus has done for you, this needs to be the thing that actually informs the way that you act with each other. And it is in this transformative service of each other, that we are going to actually give the world a picture of what Jesus is like. In a me, me, me world that says, I'm not going to do this unless you do this. I'm not going to do this if it makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do this unless I get something out of it. To be a picture of a community that says, I want to serve because I have been served by Jesus sacrificially, willingly, and joyfully. That is going to tell the story of what Jesus is like to a watching world. So I want to invite us into this, and I just want to finish off here uh, before we take communion together by, by just asking a couple of questions to just help us assess our hearts. The first question I think we just all need to be asking is, do, do we need to go back to the gospel? And I think probably for all of us, the answer is yes, daily, regularly. That's why we encourage you guys to, to do DNA groups. What is a DNA group? It stands for Discover, Nurture, Act. What are you discovering? You're discovering the gospel. You're going back to the picture of Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us. Why do we do that? Because it actually informs the way we live. We take that gospel message. We allow it to nurture our hearts to transform the way that we act towards one another so that we don't enter into our relationships with a me-first mentality. We enter into our relationships with the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Are you creating space in your life to humbly Go back to the gospel and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. If not, create that space. Find those pieces of community. The second thing I think we need to ask is, are we approaching the church like it's for me or like I'm for it? Jesus has graciously given us a family 
And it is good to be part of this family. And it is a beneficial relationship, I think, for most of us. But he didn't really create it for you. He created you for it. And so if you haven't yet come into, and I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. You all, those of you who have been here for a long time know that Sundays is like a small part of what it means to be the church. Those relationships, those community group families, those DNAs, those are all aspects of the church. And the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is, am I treating the church like it's for me, or am I actually entering this community asking the question, what has Jesus empowered me to do for his people? Another question we might want to ask ourselves is, as I think about those people I'm in relationship with, people in my community group, people in my DNA group, people that I just get to meet on a Sunday morning or throughout the week, do I treat them like their interests are more important than mine? We're in COVID, and we're going to have a lot of opportunity to do this with one another. And I'll be honest with you, church family. I've heard a lot of things over the last little bit that I don't think really reflect Jesus well in how we're talking and treating one another. I have a hard time. I have a hard time picturing Jesus coming and saying, come to me all who are vaccinated. I just, you know, I just don't see that. I don't see Jesus saying, you know, if you don't do this, then I'm not going to come to you. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to, to make a, a statement here about vaccination now, but what I am saying is that when our attitude says, hey, you either do what I want or I will not be in relationship with you, that is not the servant heart of Jesus. There's a family in our church who uh, co-leads a community group. I'd say they're on the more cautious side of the spectrum. And yet they, they get this. They get this. And so they have made accommodations to their lives in order to try and be in relationship with people, even though they're, they're cautious. They, got, they, they have the means to like kind of make their deck really accessible, get some heaters. And, and their community group in the same way has said, like, we know you're cautious, we're not on the same page, but we're going to come and meet you where you're at. We're going to meet outside, even though it's not always comfortable, because our heart attitude is to see your interest is more important than ours. We need more of those type of stories as a church. In the same vein, I have a hard time imagining Jesus saying, I'm only going to come into this community if I don't have to wear a mask. You know, this five-inch piece of fabric, this is going to be the barrier that divides us. I just, again, I I can't see Jesus saying that. The God who literally inconvenienced himself on a cosmic scale to become a human being unto death, 
That's our picture. That's the person that we're following. That's the kind of service that we're supposed to have. And that's the thing that should inform our response with one another in this season. So do we come, do we come together with the humble attitude of Jesus? Do we seek to put others' interests above our own? If not, our invitation is to go back to him and be reminded of what he's done for us. I'm going to invite the band to come up as I close off. Every week, every single week, and we will not stop doing this, we get this visual reminder of the kind of God that we serve, the God who came first to serve us, The cracker represents his body broken for you and I as an act of humble service. The shot glass of juice, his blood shed for you and I as an act of sacrificial service. Family, let's do this in remembrance of him. Father, I pray and ask that you would lead us that you would lead our church family forward. That people would come in here and they wouldn't see that everyone agrees with each other, but they would see that everyone is seeking to serve each other. Not because we are humble and great on our own, but because you have shown us an example of what it actually means to be a humble servant. And you've empowered us by your spirit to respond to that. As your incarnational people here in the city of Victoria. Pray this in your name. Amen.